Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Ross M, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, October 13, 2022. Today we're reading from the big book on page 35, the first paragraph. Um, it's what sort of thinking dominates alcoholic, and we're going to read through to the end of that paragraph. Today's readers are for 12 Steps, Barbara A, 12 Traditions, Nancy C, Reader of the Text of Anne Marie M, page 164 is Janice P.M. We have our newcomer greeter is Christina L, and our second hour host is Betsy H. So the reference numbers for yesterday, Thursday, October 12, 2022, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, 19,511, Five one one, ten a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, nineteen thousand five hundred twelve one nine five one two. The OA Preamble: Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on the outside, issue, outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry a message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to compulsive readers who still suffer. A vision for your big book study, add a vision for your big book study. Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive reading can recover through abstinence and practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I now ask Barbara E. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for allowing me to do service, and thank you, Russ. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight made a list of all persons we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, 
having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do this service. Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate it. All right. Next up, we have Nancy C. with its 12 Traditions. This is uh, Janice PM. If you need somebody, I'll get my 12 traditions. Uh, Nancy, are, are you there? I do them too, Russ. All right. Just... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not here, Nancy. Janice, if we could do it, we'll, get, we'll go from there. Sorry about that. Okay. This. Uh, good morning, everyone. Janice PM, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And these are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. <clears throat> One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. And five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. And OA as such, this is nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. And 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction. Rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media, pardon me, of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Yes. Thanks, Janice. Thanks for stepping up, guys. Appreciate it. How our meeting works. Our meeting, meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your share to the topic in the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does require that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're back in the big book, as always, and more about alcoholism. Page 35, the first paragraph, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time down to of what is he thinking? We're going to read that one paragraph, and I asked Anne-Marie Ann to start us off today. Thank you so much, uh, Russ. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? And this is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina, recovered through God's grace and by working the steps of OA, 12 steps of OA. Yeah, um, what brought me, um, well, first I was thinking about that last sentence in the, the last paragraph of, you know, um, what is the crux of the problem? And then, you know, on page 23, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. I, um, I need help from God. God can change. God did change my thinking. And when I ask, he continues because my thinking get warped. So, um, you know, I, I asked yesterday um, I had to do it. I did a ten step, and my thinking was was changed um, because of um, my doing the work. I have to do the work. I was being very judgmental with about my daughter. I didn't say anything to her, but I was being judgmental. So um, times before when I was in the food, I didn't ask God for help. I didn't pick up the phone and say, admit that I'm being judgmental. I stayed in my head and convinced myself how the, how the other person was wrong and continued with my judgmental thoughts and called someone that would agree with me rather than say, hey, what's your part in this? And I'm grateful that I was able to um, see my part right away. You know, I called and said, I, I need to share a, a, a judgment. <laughs> you know, I need to do this 10 step. Um, and then on page 23, so right, right next to this uh, paragraph, I have human aid, and human aid doesn't work. And in the doctor's opinion on page Roman numeral 27, it says, what with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well-equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. So I can't rely on human aid 
with this obsession of the mind. And our friend, my friends didn't understand. Only people in, in OA, the fellowship, the people who have this disease could understand why after getting sick and having to cancel plans and wanting to stay in bed with my covers over my head that I picked up food again because I was looking for comfort. I was looking for some, just some ease. And I found it in food. I didn't know any other way until I learned, until I got the correct message. And the correct message is from this book, Alcoholics Anonymous. There is a solution here. That's what we're, you know, we're not reading about that now, but there is a solution here. And I needed direction on how to find that. And I found it in in, um, OA. I found it particularly in this meeting, A Vision for You, who focuses on the solution which is found in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So why does he? What was his thinking? I was relying on self. That's my thought. I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Now we're going to open up the line for sharing. And although we value your experience, we actually limit your share every third day, so I'll get a, a chance to share your experience, too. So if you shared yesterday or Wednesday, please step back. And uh, the line's open. Just take it easy on me. One at a time, please. Sonia from Philadelphia. Okay, we got Sonia. Did you get Melissa to say? No, I did. Thanks. Who else? Who else? Seneca and Fort Worth. All right, Seneca. Did, did you get Johan? Yes, I did. Okay, sorry. Thank you. Thanks. No, I'm teasing, brother. We got you now. Who else would like to share? Hey, take an easy on me. I know there's a couple other ones in here. Who else would like to share? Gina F. in Connecticut. So, Gina. All right, let's go with this. We got Sonia, Melissa, Seneca, Johan, and Gina. All right, Sonia, you're up. Hi, I'm Sonia grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater, and by God's grace, today I have 27 days abstinent, and I'm just so grateful, and I really mean it's by God's grace. What really comes to mind is at the bottom of how it works, where it says no human power could have relieved me of my alcoholism, but God could, and what if he were sought, and it's really it's it's really evident. It's become evident. It wasn't always evident to me that um, I needed a God power and I needed a higher power to get abstinent. I was in another program for 11 years, a food program, and I tried and tried on my own to get abstinent, and I just couldn't do it. Well, go figure. And I found OA Vision for You, and my life turned around. And I am just so grateful that I was able to have, I actually had a vital spiritual experience 27 days ago. And I've seen little miracles happen throughout 
these past days, and I'm amazed. And um, I just, I, I love all of you. I appreciate this um, morning meeting, and thank you, Russ, for, um, for sharing. Thanks, I appreciate it. Next up is Melissa C., followed by Seneca T. Hey, good morning, Russ. Thanks so much for your service this morning. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York. And, you know, I read this and it's like, what what kind of thinking is dominating me? And I think that that in and of itself is, is the crux of my problem, is that I am dominated. I am under the control. I'm under the master of my own thoughts, of my own thinking. And, um... I don't know if you're, are you able to hear me? Because I hear a lot of background, but. Um, no, we got you. Okay. We got you. Yeah. okay. Good deal. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I think that, that for me, right? Like. We're... Melissa, you got muted. Star one. Sorry about that. Hey, okay. I'll start it again. <laughs> Thanks. It's Melissa C. So, um. Yeah, so the, the crux of my problem is that I am under the power and control of my thoughts, right, of my mind. And um, and that's not sufficient power, right, for, for keeping me from repeating again and again that same ridiculous experiment. And when I look at my thinking, what is the thinking that dominates me? You know, it's, um, well, it's either, like, looking for satisfaction, like feeling either dissatisfaction with my circumstances or self-satisfaction. And it's basically needing to feel good all the time. And so my thoughts are always centered around that whatever it's going to take so that I can perpetuate. And that is like in the disease. That's my guiding force. That's everything. And yet, on my own unaided power, I cannot change my thinking. Like, I don't have the power to make myself think any different. And I love that, you know, the, the two shares that came before spoke directly about the only thing that can change my thinking. So it's not the examination of the why, because I always used to examine the why, and that nearly kills me, you know, um, because for me, when I want to find why, 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 why? It's really I was looking to assign blame <clears throat> to someone else. And even if I could identify why, um, so what? You know, so what if, if everything my parents did screwed up, right? Um, unless I'm going to take, you know, a time machine and undo the past, not too much good that's going to come from the examination of the why. And by the way, my parents loved me. So any mistakes they made, you know, um, it was human error, right? And so um, that's the only thing that can change my thinking is a spiritual awakening because that's what we get is a personality change. And people with a different personality have different thoughts. And that's really it. So today, my thinking is not self-satisfaction. It's really not. It's not all about feeling good. Sometimes it is. But most of the time, God replaces my thoughts of feeling good with being good, with doing good, and, um, and that's been the solution. Thanks for that. Uh, uh, perfect timing. <laughs> All right, Melissa, thanks. 
Next up is Seneca T, followed by Johan. Good morning. This is Seneca T from Fort Worth. Um, I just developed the courage to share because of the reading today. So take what you need and leave the rest. Please don't judge me and my experience. Um, What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Hmm. Well, for me, being a compulsive overeater, it is a sense of ease and comfort, a sense of ease and comfort. Like this time, this eight seconds of eating will will control and settle down the rest of my day, my restless thoughts, my restless thinking, this irritability, like this bite is going to change it, this one. But it's a lie. It's a lie. And as a compulsive eater, I'm wired to believe the lie. And then I get pissed because I believe the lie. And I'm like, well, you're a compulsive overeater, honey. And day by day, God is showing me that my solution of eating is what brought me <clears throat> to this group. And I believe that. So what what's the step after that? Being honest, being open, and being willing, right? That's how. Honest that I believe the lie. That that is how I eat, that's how I think. And being open about it is sharing with my fellows, my sponsor and my family that I'm suffering. And I'm dying with this food in my hand that my ears get clogged up, my thinking gets clogged up, I'm tired, and I don't want to be a part. I don't want to get in the boat when I'm eating. I heard it takes every beautiful bite at this meeting, and, man, to get me to the point where I am on my knees in a humble, graceful, and beautiful way. See, it's not this hard way that I think it is, like, oh, my God, it's going to kill me. No, it's like accept love, accept and be willing to accept love outside of me. It's not going to come from something I can do. You know, I'm a very type A, give me the checklist. It's surrender. It's like there's a beautiful life on the other side of it, and guess what? Nope, it's not your design. Mm -mm. But it's what reminds me that there's a God and I'm not it. And that is the thinking for me, that's my experience. This group gives me hope. This book gives me hope because it's like, man, yeah, I already know. So why would I hide the fact that I'm a compulsive overeater? The way to it is through it because everything that I'm going through right now is necessary. And I'm grateful to be able to share that and reach out. I appreciate the call. Take care. That's it. Okay. Thank you, Seneca. Next up is Johan N., followed by Gina F. Hey, good morning, Russ. Thank you so much for service today. Thanks, everybody that are here and for the share so far. Amazing paragraph. My name is Johan, Johan N., and I can Nancy, and I'm a recovered compulsive warrior in Sweden. And uh, yeah, this uh, this paragraph uh, it's uh, it talks about insanity in my mind, you know, and uh, it talks about me. I was completely insane, 
uh, going back again and again to the food, you know, thinking that, you know, this time I got it. And living under the delusion that I could eat like other people. That's the thing. I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to be able to have that birthday cake bite without eating the whole cake and then going for more. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't. Uh, and if I have an insane mind, if I'm living in insanity, I need to get a sane mind. That's the thing. And how do I do that? Um, I took a sponsor, I worked through the steps and you know, I got my sanity back or back. Uh, I don't know if I ever had sanity around food. <laughs> uh, I think that I've been insane uh, my whole life until I, I, I got into a way. But you know, thanks to this beautiful program, uh, thanks to the instructions in Big Book, uh, to this program of action, uh, I'm not insane anymore. Uh, I got sanity today, one day at a time. It's uh, it's a daily program. I got 24 hours. I need to do every day what I can so that God can keep me abstinent. And if I just do the footwork, you know, God will do the rest. It's so simple. I just need to follow the instructions in Big Book. I need to have a daily program, and I just need to follow this. And uh, you know, I get sanity around food, where I'm no longer living in the delusion that I'm one day gonna be able to eat like other people because I'm not ever. Um, and I get to, to live a, a life where I'm present with my kids, where, you know, I, I, uh, where I have happiness and joy in my life. Uh, so just so grateful that there is a solution. And like it says in chapter two, something like, you know, the problem centers in our mind rather than our body. And it's a twofold disease. I got a physical allergy uh, and I got the mental twist. But if I, if I get sanity through working the steps, it doesn't matter that I have this allergy. I will never activate it. You know, as long as I I'm not interested in my alcoholic food, there is not a problem. And that's, that, that's what program does. You know, I get sanity and I get a beautiful life. It's just amazing. I'm so uh, grateful. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, and I'll pause. Thanks. Thanks, Johan. Next up is Gina F., and then we're going to take another list. All right. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, fellows. This is Gina F., um, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Connecticut. So this paragraph, uh, this is like my pay dirt. Um, I, I really tried to find a thinking solution to my problem. Um, of course, I did the diets and I did the um, exercise programs. Uh, but I knew, I knew the problem was in my mind, um, you know, before I found this program. I knew there was something wrong with the way I thought about and interacted with food because I would be with uh, friends and family who did not do the same things as me. So I did therapy and I did uh, self-help books, you know, focused on eating disorders and recovery and um, it didn't work and it was gosh I even went to school and got a master's degree in psychology and that didn't work and I part of me knew you know the whole time I was doing the therapy and the um, and the workbooks um, part of me knew it wasn't going to work and gosh when you don't have this solution that's a really disheartening feeling um, knowing that you have this mental 
problem um, and knowing despite your best efforts, you're going to fail time and time again. Um, it just feels like being trapped. It's a really dark place. Um, and even today, um, I really want to know why this works when, you know, the therapy and, you know, experts in the mental health field um, and their advice didn't. I want to know why this works. But guess what? That is part of uh, step one for me is accepting that um, my broken brain can't fix my broken brain. Um, I can't think my way out of this. I can't psychology my way out of this uh, pattern of thinking and behavior. And I also don't get to know the reasons why this spiritual solution works. Um, because I like to, you know, be the expert and I like to have answers. But if I did, then, you know, it wouldn't be a power greater than me if I could understand <laughs> the mysteries of God. Um, so all I need to know is that it works and that I have to work it. That's really it. Um, I don't need to know what's happening behind the curtains. But um, the point is that, you know, the, the physical uh, aspect of it, separating myself from uh, trigger foods through a diet didn't work. Um, trying to find a psychological solution to this problem didn't work either. The answer is, as everyone before me has, and it's hard to follow up, y'all, because uh, you hit it so well, but and I'll pass. Thank you, Gina. So now we're going to open it up again for sharing. We're and more about alcoholism. Page 35, the first paragraph, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic. And we're just going to read that paragraph. Who would like to share? Hattie P. W. P. from Rhode Island. Kathy Amy Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got Hattie okay. and and Pete. There's Kathy plenty Hattie. before. <laughs> okay, one second. Hold on. So we got Hattie B, I believe it was. Hatt oh, Hattie W, I think it is. Pete B. I Here think get Christina. Amy G. Liz UK. Karen. Sarah R. Chris from New York. Christina. Amy. Sarah. All right. So I'm going to go with what I heard. I apologize. I ain't trying to hurt nobody. Okay. Hattie W. PP. There was a Karen. I didn't get the first initial, but yes. we get it. Okay. That was Karen S. And then Christina L., Amy G., and Sarah R. I think. Let's see where we are after that. You know, we'll take more if we can. All right. And, uh, and there was Kathy S., too. Kathy S. All right, I hey, think Rob, that's pretty uh, good. This is Christina L. I didn't put my name out there. Oh, Christina J. It's Christina J. I'm sorry. Sorry, Christina J. All right, everything's blending together. So, Hattie, you are up. Good morning, and thank you for your service. Thank you, everybody, for your service for being there. So, this morning, what speaks to me in this paragraph is friends who have reasoned with him. So my um, 
my specific manifestation of this disease was to not let friends see this. So how did I do that? Uh, For many years, I lived alone. And I would only engage in my compulsive overeating and my restricting at home. No one else saw it. No one else thought it was there. No one else commented about it. And then I found a partner who eventually became my husband. And um, and he was someone who was not going to touch anything that he didn't understand, that he saw was full of concern or emotion. And so he pulled back and certainly witnessed it. I I talked to him about my my struggles even before I got into OA. But he left that for me to deal with. The gift was that he left it for me to, to deal with. But the reality was that that allowed me to continue in isolation. And the isolation was where my thinking just spun around in circles and could get dark and could get delusional and could get um, just ineffective for me to find any kind of solution. So I, uh, I found when I came to Vision, and this was not my first OA meeting, but this is such a powerful meeting full of so much recovery, um, that I was I was in, excited and encouraged and energized and enthused by what I was hearing on the line, but I couldn't get out of me. I couldn't get out of that isolation. I was telling someone I called yesterday uh, in my newly att- attempt new attempts to get out of this isolation that I am this. I am this person of polarity. Maybe maybe others of you are in your, your own specific ways. But my polarity is that I'm afraid of people and I love people. I'm hidden and self-critical and I want to be out and engaged and participate and support. And in fact, did a lot of that when I was going to in-person meetings. Um, so the, the, the thinking... The thing that gets me out of the thinking is this participation, but it's not I didn't just hide from all of you. I hid from my higher power. And I still have to remind myself that my higher power, though though whoever whatever that is, can see me and hear me and knows me and loves me, I have to engage. My higher power is not gonna get in my face. My higher power is not gonna not going to rescue me without me participating. There is there is this co-creation in my own experience of higher power where I have to do the work too. My higher power will carry power me will way carry. further, but I have to do the work right. too. And with that, I'll pass. All right. Next up is Steve B. Followed by Karen S. Thanks, Russ. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive reader, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Thanks for taking the meeting with us. It's good to hear you in service. And uh, so what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I'll speak for me. And the thinking that dominates that dominated me was 
not the delusion that I can eat like other people. I knew I couldn't eat like other people from fifth grade, fourth grade. I mean, I know other people didn't eat like me. So, you know, the, 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 you know, it had nothing to do with, well, let's just say this. The delusion that I am like other people or presently may be has to, was never smashed. I always looked at situations and said, well, if that person can do this, then I can do that. If that person can do this, then I can do that. If that person did that, then I must be able to do that, right? I looked around and I took the data that regular people do and I made that and I made assumptions that if they could do it, I could do it. And what I, what this book taught me and what my experience shows me, tell, tells me, and the reason why I am recovered today is because the delusion that I am like any other person has been absolutely smashed. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what you people say. I don't care what you people think. I don't care what other people think about me. There are things that I need to do. There are feelings that I get that are inspired by the God of my understanding that I know I have to practice in order to live this life of neutrality that I have around foods and other substances and behaviors that cause the phenomenon of craving. It doesn't have to make sense to any other individual. Nobody has to understand what I have to do because there are things, food-related and not food-related, behaviors that I have to incorporate that, I must, that, that, that must be practiced in order for me to remain neutral. Nobody has to understand that I need 20 minutes in the morning to attend to, attend to my spiritual condition. Nobody has to understand that I can't participate in winded arguments about if something works or if something doesn't work or what political ideal or what thing is out there. I had, to, you know, what, what I learned in here, we talk about all the time, right? Join the herd, be one in the crowd, blah, blah, blah. The book tells me I'm not like other people. And what, what a recovered individual told me early on is that in recovery, it's fine to join in, but there's going to come a point in time where I have to learn to stand alone. Where my feelings, the, the, the inspiration, the guidance that I'm getting from, my God of, from the God of my understanding may conflict with what others in the group are thinking and doing. And I need to have the courage to stand alone. The courage to stand up for what I believe is the right thing to do. And guess what? If I fall short, that's what we have the rest of this 12-step recovery program for. If I fall short and make a mistake, yeah. I make amends for it and I move forward. Right? This is a program of freedom. I walk a free man today, and by God's grace and mercy, I'm super, super grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Pete. <clears throat> Thank you, Pete. Next up is Karen S. Or was it Kathy S.? Hi. Thanks, Thanks, Russ. This is Karen S. I'm a recovering overeater, compulsive overeater, and I'm new, and I relapsed, and I'm back. Um, so the thing that even dominate for me is that I could handle this and I got this, and which was not the right thinking, obviously. Um, I was just around an environment that I hadn't been around in a long time, which was around a bunch of junk food. Um, and I was unfortunately responsible for it. And I thought that I could, I didn't eat it, but I ate something else. But anyway, I, I thought that I could. Sorry. It's really important to me. 
I have a lot of good things waiting for me. Until I... I guess I wasn't convinced, but I'm convinced now. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So before uh, we have Christina jump on here, I'll let you know where we're at. We're more about alcoholism on page 35. Uh, the first paragraph was sort of thinking dominating alcohol. So I believe it was Christina J. If you want to jump up on here, if I may have heard wrong, you know me. Yeah, right. It was Christina J. Thank you. <laughs> I did something nice for that. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So recovering today in the state of North Carolina, and every time somebody gets on the line and cries, I cry. My heart hurts. And, you know, what took me out of my recent recovery? I, I don't know. You know what? I didn't have much thinking about it. By the time I got to standing in the store and the mental twist came, there was no thinking. No thinking at all. It was the action that I used to take for 60 years of my life, going right to the shit, going right to the substance. There's no thinking for me at that stage. What brought me to that stage, that desperate state of the food was the only option, as the member here on the line says, the food was a step up from where I'd been living. If I don't work this program like it's outlined, if I don't take it seriously and take my autopilot numb seriously and do 10 steps and reach out to fellows regardless of thinking I'm fine, handling life, every day saying that to myself, I don't got nothing wrong, I'm handling this, there's no problems. If I don't take that autopilot numb seriously and do a 10-step regardless, reach out to a fellow and say, I don't feel like I have anything going on, can you talk to me? Then that shit's going to build up. And it brought me to standing in the store before that, diving into my little abstinent foods a little bit more, not realizing, oh, you know, this is really a problem. You know, having a little this extra, a little that extra is a problem. And it finally took me to that state of complete insanity. And I can tell you it was insanity. I was going out of my mind with my emotions. There was no other choice for me. I'm a compulsive reader. The choice of no choice. No choice. I know that place really, really well. And I know the danger signs. But I wasn't paying attention. And I, you know, <laughs> there used to be a group for autopilot numb people. You know, numb. Numb to life. <clears throat> numb to what I'm feeling in my gut and my heart. All this shit that's been going on in my life. And now I've settled down. Someone on the line shared the other day how they can handle this. They can handle being in the storm, but when the storm settles, that's when everything comes up, and that is what is happening to me. The storm has settled, and everything is coming up, and I can't wait to get to my next four step because a lot of crap's going to go on it from this trip and this whole change the last year and a half. So, what precedes the first bite? <laughs> For me, there's no at this particular stage. There was no thinking at all. Like, go get it, honey. Go get it. You need it now. 
and I've suffered from that. So painful to be in the food, man. It's so painful to come out of the food. I'm with anybody out there that's going through this. Call me. Fine. Let's support each other. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thanks, Christine. And next up is Amy G. Followed by Sarah R. Thanks, Russ. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you, everyone, for a great meeting. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive eater from Maryland. Um, this whole idea of the desperate experiment of the first drink. I just love how Bill uses his adjectives. You know, why desperate? This reminds me so much of what it talks about in step one in the 12 and 12 that says every natural instinct cries out against personal powerlessness. You know, when I look at the word in, in, instinct in the dictionary, innate, typically fixed pattern of behavior, my innate instinct is to cry out against personal powerlessness. So I am desperately trying over and tried over and over again to think that I could eat like another person, like a normie, like anyone else, that I was not different from my fellows, that, that somehow through willpower, even knowledge, in Overeaters Anonymous and experience would be sufficient for me to all of a sudden be sane in my thinking or combat my instincts and the mental twist. And I don't have that power because it's so instinctual, it's so, it's so innate to prove that I can control my world, um, that I need a power greater than myself because my mind cannot fix my mind, my will cannot fix my will. I cannot fix me. And when we think about this idea of what sort of thinking, everyone's made it very clear. It's insane. That's right. Why is it insane? Because my thinking, not just about insane reasons or none at all to eat. I mean, how many times did I stand five bites in front of the refrigerator going, how the hell did I get here? But how the hell did I get in front of the refrigerator? My thinking was dominated and run by my feelings. I mean, we're going to look at Jim here in a little bit. And I'm gonna, and we're gonna realize how resentment, old ideas, control the world. You know, everybody owes me something. Entitlement, self-centeredness, selfishness, immaturity—all of those behaviors. I couldn't differentiate the true from the false. My world was the way it was supposed to be, right? And when it didn't work the way I wanted it to, I got restless, irritable, and discontent. I was deluded in how I thought the world was supposed to go. I was led by my feelings. And then all of a sudden, an insane excuse to eat came on board. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Right? That's instinctual. That is something that I had no control over until a power greater myself that evolved through the process of working these 12 steps showed me another way. But I had to admit that personal powerlessness. And when we get to step one and says, admit we are powerless, that is only something that I can do. Me, myself, and I alone can make the choice to either surrender to that powerlessness or not. That's a choice only I can do. It is a we program, but I have to make that choice. I resigned from the debating society. Thank God this disease had brought me to my knees where I finally admitted powerlessness against my instincts against everything the world tells me, right, that I am truly powerless. Sorry. And that I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate it. Next up is Sarah R. followed by Kathy S. 
Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Sarah R. And the moderator, you're doing great. It's always amazing to get the wrong names because, you know, it's part of the meeting. Um, okay, I want to tell you a little story what happened today. I feel like when it comes to sharing, like there's an art, you have to just click star one right away, wait till some people say their names, and then, you know, say your name slowly so you get heard. And it's interesting because I kept hitting 876148 pounds and nothing was happening. And I thought, hey, it's it's it can't be me, right? Because I know how to share. I hop on this meeting all the time. And then I hung up. And then I did it again. And I'm like, ah, I have to hit star one. And why am I bringing this up? Because, you know, one of the beautiful people mentioned the word autopilot. And it's great. You know, they say, put down the food. Okay. Big fat check. So it's great. No, I, I get Instacart. I don't even have to go to the store. I, I'm on autopilot every morning. You know, I got I to gotta be in my car at 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. some days. So I've got the food ready. I've got everything down pat. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just doing it. But, you know, just like this morning when I hit the buttons to share, you know, and, and in my head when I was saying, there must be something wrong with my phone. There must be something wrong with my Bluetooth. So I actually hung up, turned off my car, and then turned it back on, right? And that's, that's kind of what happened yesterday. What happened yesterday was, you know, I brought all the food with me. Everything was on my desk. But for some reason, this autopilot didn't work for me. You know, I, I, there, there was a, a lapse in connection there was a lapse in connecting to my higher power and i guess for me autopilot doesn't work it's great for days and days and weeks and weeks and you know the word insanity in the book applied to me and how did it apply i work i work in a very industrial place so there there isn't really places to go for food so apparently there was a candy machine and 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 it's funny i'm not a candy person but I just, I, 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 I had such a disconnect between me and my higher power. And I, once, once I tapped into something that was upsetting me, I tapped in to every single thing that's upset me since May 19th, 1990 at 2.30 a.m. when I joined this world. And, you know, it's, it's great that you can put the food down. But, you know, sometimes I like to hop on other fellowships you know, even, even if I'm not a fellow of that fellowship because I just replaced, let's say, alcohol with food, and it really helps solidify, you know, my recovery. And I heard once in a meeting there was an alcoholic for 30 years, 30 years. I'm 32, so that's, um, that's a very long time for me. She had perfect – yes, I'm going to finish up. She had perfect um, sobriety, but she went to the store for eggs, and she ended up drinking, and that's what I learned yesterday. It doesn't matter how much time I have, you know, every single day I can't be on autopilot. I have to show up, suit up, do the inner work, the higher power work, and without a pass. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks a lot. Yep, you too. Next up is Kathy S. It's, you're going to be your uh, final share. You have just about three minutes. Thanks, Russ. This is Kathy S., recovered compulsive overeater in Georgia. And, um, yeah, what really stands out for me in this paragraph is the thinking. 
that dominates and and it talks about the desperate experiment of the first drink so so we're talking about a time where I'm abstinent and what starts it up again why do we do this and all I know is that you know I have an anxious disposition and I have a big imagination and that likes to exaggerate, that likes to make assumptions and expectations. And the problem is that my feelings get out of control and my feelings are run by my thinking. So that's why it's always important to look at my thinking. That's what 10 steps do for me. I have to look at where am I coming from? And so I wanted to take like a practical look at the thinking that dominates me um, as an addict is that I want my way. I think I know best and I'm not considering the point of view of anybody else. I don't, I don't want this reality that's going on. I think things should be different. So I think I know better than God. I think that other people are responsible for my happiness and that I'm responsible for theirs. So if somebody's not having a good day, oh my gosh, it must be me, and I've got to fix it. And the problem is I don't understand my powerlessness about all this stuff. I get my serenity, my value from other people or from my own accomplishments and achievements. So I think I need to be doing more. Um, I, I let fear you know, fear comes in because, again, my thinking. I think that I'm not going to be okay if this anxiety doesn't stop. And it, and it feels like it never will. I get scared that 10 steps aren't going to work. And so, you know, we get to this and or like God's not here for me. It really comes down to my faith in God, um, my thinking about God. God's not for me. God's going to drop the other shoe on my head or he's out to teach me a lesson, that not everything's going to come together, that I have to know everything. I have to make the perfect choice so that I'm going to be safe. You know, it's, it's all this, it's obsessive thinking. It's a million thoughts going on at once. And, um, and what I have found is that by staying abstinent, at least I have a shot at, at just doing the work, which is working out the steps. I take a look at what is disturbing me. I run it through a 10-step process, which is basically my four-step resentment inventory. And I share it with another person and I get turned around with my thinking. Have I considered that God knows best and God loves me? So it's all going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, it's like the clouds clear. Everything gets, you know, a little quieter. And I ask for an intuitive thought and I get one because I believe God, God offers me that wisdom. So, um, yeah, with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kathy. Your last share. And we thank everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour. So immediately following closing. So today's share ID, Friday, October 13, 2022. 7 a.m. meeting is 19,516. We will now close the, uh, close with the reading from the big book on page 164, called by the Serenity Prayer. And I ask Janice PM to read page 164. Oh, thank you again, Rush M. <clears throat> My name is Janice PM, and our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something that you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.